Let us pray. Almighty God, merciful Father, who created and completed all things, on this day when the work of our calling begins anew, we implore you to create its beginning, direct its continuance, and bless its end. That our doings may be preserved from sin, our life sanctified, and our work this day be well-pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. Um, <laughs> Heather, are you, where are you at? There you are. Okay. You want me to sing for you, tell you a joke? Um, before we get going, you'll, uh, if you've got an outline, you can take a look. But the very first point, um, you know, I think last week, last week my father-in-law was here, and I think, I tried to download it on the website when I was over at Wheaton College on the, on the bike. I was hoping to listen to it. Well, it wasn't up yet. But I think he went through kind of the background of Galatia and the Galatian church and the book of Galatians um, and gave you a lot of, did he give you geographical stuff? A little bit, okay. Um, so that's good. That's why he's an exegete. I don't know that stuff. Um, he doesn't know this stuff, so it all, it all works out. Uh, no, that's very helpful, actually. It's helpful to get back into the rhythm by just reminding us, uh, you know, who the Galatians are and what the Galatian, Galatian church is like. Um, I want to pick up where we left off. I looked, I think it was November 30th, or um, maybe it was even the 23rd, where we left off. So we've been out a few weeks. He got you back in the rhythm. Uh, but I do want to talk about a few things we talked about last time, because we did just kind of breeze through it. But look at, uh, look at your outline if you've got one in front of you. Point one. You have one, Pastor Bruzek? All right. Uh, after a few days of reflecting upon where we've been and where we're going as a deno denomination, the LCMS, uh, that was at the symposia in Fort Wayne. The, the second half, which um, we were able to attend, was basically a look at the past 50 years in the Missouri Synod. They called it a last look, but everyone admitted it won't be a last look. So it began uh, chronologically with Walter A. Meyer I uh, and ended with Real honestly, guys like Pelican, Yaroslav Pelican, who died in the Eastern Church, um, Richard John Newhouse, who died in the Roman Catholic Church, um, uh, Von Schenk, who was a pastor in New York. These guys all died you know, in the 80s and the 90s, but had a tremendous influence on the Missouri Synod the past 50 years. But in the midst of all of that, and thinking about where we've been, because it's a different church today than it was 50 years ago, um, and it's a different church today even than it was 10 years ago, but in reflecting upon where we've been and where we're going, I'm still struck by the following. And I think this ran, if I'm not mistaken, as the, as the welcome for last week. This is Richard John Newhouse, um, who was a Missouri Synod pastor for quite some time, and then went to the ELCA, and then went on to the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, and he left, he left the Lutheran Church not because he was upset with the Lutheran Church. I think this is, a, this is an important point to make. He wasn't upset with Lutheran theology or the Lutheran Church, he simply thought, um, with the Second Vatican Council in the mid-20th century, that all the discrepancies between Rome and Lutheranism had been resolved. Okay? So it's very different than saying, I don't agree with the Lutheran Church. In fact, what he said was, Rome has come back to agreement with the Lutheran Church. Now that's debatable, uh, but it is an important, an important point to make. So in reflecting upon his own death, he writes this. When I come before the judgment throne, I will plead the promise of God in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I will not plead any work that I have done, although I will thank God that he has enabled me to do some good. I will plead no merits other than the merits of Christ. 
knowing that the merits of Mary and all the saints are all from him. And for their company, their example, and their prayers, throughout my earthly life, I will give everlasting thanks. I will not plead that I had faith, for sometimes I was unsure of my faith, and in any event, that would be to turn faith into a meritorious work of my own. I will not plead that I held the correct understanding of justification by faith alone, although I will thank God that he led me to know ever more fully the great truth that much misunderstood formulation was intended to protect. Whatever little growth in holiness I have experienced, whatever strength I have received from the company of the saints, whatever understanding I have attained of God and his ways, these and all other gifts received I will bring gratefully to the throne, but in seeking entry to that heavenly kingdom, I will look to Christ and Christ alone. I think it's safe to say that Richard John Newhouse, may his soul rest in peace, uh, died a Lutheran. <laughs> um, this is great Lutheran stuff, and, and the real blessing is that great Lutheran stuff spent about 14 years in the Roman Catholic Church, and will probably, you know, the next 50 years, end up being one of the greatest American Roman Catholic priests ever to live. Um, so that, for that, we should rejoice. Um, he's had a lasting impact on them, and, and much of that comes from his Lutheran upbringing. But I find, I find it striking, especially you know, after what we talked about back in November, that he talks specifically about not pleading that he had faith. And so you see there, if you could sum up what it means to be a Lutheran in just one phrase, it might be this, Jesus does the verbs. Okay, that's it. To be a Lutheran means that you understand that Jesus does the verbs. And any verbs that you might do, he says, you know, I'm very thankful I was able to do some good, which he was. The pro-life movement, in many respects, is, is attributable to him. Whatever good you've done, at the end of the day, can only be attributed to Christ and Christ alone. Jesus does the verbs. He words creation into existence through his eight-sided speech. Remember, he speaks eight times, let there be. He makes creation new through his eight-sided resurrection. John's Gospel, John chapter 20, on the first day of the week, the eighth day, he comes up out of the tomb. And he delivers that eight-sided life to us through his sacramental gifts. Who's driving the verbs here? He puts himself in water and word and bread and wine to be always for us and never against us. Okay? We've talked at length about uh, what you can find in his being. Uh, you cannot find wrath in the being of Christ. Who he is by nature is only mercy and love. And you see that because every week he drops down again a little incarnation and puts himself in water and word and bread and wine and says, I'm always for you and never against you. And that's the way he works. He drives the verbs. So it only makes sense then, remember we are in Galatians chapter 2, that St. Paul, a slave, the Greek word there is doulos, a slave of Christ, you remember from Romans 1.1, would put the verbs back on Jesus as well. You should have Galatians 2 in front of you, okay? So if you want to look over there as we go along, that'd be fine. Verse 16, a person is not justified by works of the law. Works of the law put the onus on us, you know. We are then the ones who have to do the verbs. 
but a person is justified through the faith of Jesus Christ. Through the faith of Jesus Christ. And faith here, you remember, we talked at length about this, faith is a genitive. And a genitive in the Greek connotes belonging, as in faith belongs to someone. But to whom does it belong? Well, if you remember that <laughs> to be a Lutheran simply means you say that Jesus drives the verbs. This is very simple. Jesus does the verbs. Jesus gets the first word. Everything said in Scripture is said of him before it's said of us. All genitives belong to him before they belong to the Christian. So this faith that St. Paul spoke about you know, four or five weeks ago, this faith is a subjective genitive. It's Christ's genitive before it's your genitive. Or it's Christ's faith before it's your faith. And so verse 16 should read like this. A person is not forgiven by works of the law, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. You and I are not forgiven by works of the law. That is very easy for us to understand. By faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, we're not saved by works of the law. What may be a bit tricky is, um, we heard a great, well, we heard a great lecture on, um, on some very famous Lutherans from the mid-20th century while we were there. And it was fascinating um, to hear how many of them, especially in the mid-20th century, would say that the primary virtue of a Christian is that she or she, he or she has faith. The primary virtue. So at the end of the day, when you go to heaven, what you say before St. Peter and the Lord is, I had faith. Okay. That is completely, not well, completely would be a law way of talking. That's almost completely <laughs> in the way of the law. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. So Jesus has faith. He has faith in the Father's plan, and he is faithful all the way to the cross. And he then delivers his faithfulness to you. And in delivering it to you, it actually becomes your faith. So you see there, we also have believed in, we have put our trust in Christ Jesus in order to be forgiven by the faith of Christ. We believe only because Christ believed first, and he wants us in on his believing. This, as it says here, is pure Lutheran stuff. Okay? Jesus has faith for you. He delivers it to you as a gift, and he invites you to play within his own faithful life, to do as he does. And this is very important. If you don't understand that it's all about Jesus and what Jesus does, then you've got Lutheranism upside down. You've got Christianity upside down. You've got the scriptures upside down. Primarily, you have the gospels upside down. You should never begin a sentence with, I think, I believe, I want, I feel. Every sentence should begin, Jesus thinks, and Jesus does, and Jesus feels, and Jesus believes. If you put it back on Jesus, all will be well at the end of the day. It is all about Christ. And all of that, as you see on the outline, all of that locates the forgiveness of God, what he does day in and day out. When you pray the Our Father when you wake up, forgive us our trespasses, he does. 
When you come to church and you say, I'm a poor, miserable sinner, and he says, that's okay, I love poor, miserable sinners, I forgive you all your sins, he does. When you go to the altar and he touches you with himself and he forgives you, he does, all because that forgiveness is located in the flesh of Jesus. All that he is and all that he does. So if you look at the next page, if you're in him, if you have his faith as a gift, then he invites you to live his life. Okay? He forgives you, he gives you his faith, and he invites you to live within his own sacred life. And so then Luther, faith is not the human notion and dream that some people call faith. I have faith. Just got to have faith. Who sang Just Got to Have Faith? That was before my time. George Michael. George Michaels? Michael? Michaels. Okay, Michael. I can tell you about Police Academy and Dumb and Dumber and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but George Michael, that's, that's beyond my... I'm better off for it. That's exactly right. Just, yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Affirmation from the group is always helpful. Just got to have faith. That is heresy. You don't just have to have faith. Faith, however, is a divine work in us which changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. John chapter 1. It kills the old Adam. Look at how powerful faith is. It's, it's living. It kills the old Adam and makes us altogether different men in heart and spirit and mind and powers. And it brings with it the Holy Spirit. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, and mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good works incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done. But before the question is asked, it has already done them and is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. Not because you're not doing good works, but because you don't have faith. If you have faith, you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you live the life that he's called you to live. And all of that is in the way of the gospel. Okay? Now that brings us right to where we were supposed to have started, you know, December 7th, but then we didn't go. So are there any questions at all on the genitive there? This is very important to get set up for what comes next. Yes. If I could remember, I would. <laughs> I think I said something. Oh, yes. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. I think I said something like, you're not an unbeliever because you don't do good works. You're an unbeliever because you don't have faith. And faith is Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you do good works. See how I danced around that? You're only an unbeliever if you don't have Jesus. But everyone who has Jesus is pushed to do good works. So then James can say, and we'll look at this next week, James can say, you're saved by works. Okay? Which is part of the reason why Luther throws James out. You're saved by works. Well, what he means there is not that if you do enough good works, you're going to go to heaven. What he means is your works are an indication that you have faith. Because Jesus can't stop working. Jesus cannot stop. So even if you stop, even if you say, you know what, I'm done with this, Jesus is like, we're still going. And this is why in the Gospels, it's very important, Luke 9.51 is kind of the turning point, especially in Luke's Gospel, but really in all the Gospels, 
he sets his face to Jerusalem. And what that shows you is he will not stop until everything is done. Okay? He's on a journey, as you heard this morning in the sermon. He's on a journey. But as you also heard from Epiphany, he invites you into that journey. Okay? So you can't say, you know, people don't go to heaven because they don't do good works. They don't go to heaven because they don't have Jesus. But if you have Jesus, you do good works. So at the end of the day, if you're not doing good works, you may just not have Jesus. Does that make sense? Uh, it might just be a whole topic for Bible study. We'll have to see. Uh, let's go to Donna first, and then I'll come to you, Karen. question is, uh, can Luther say, and can we say, because we have Christ's faith, everything we do is a good work? That's a, that's a good question. And I, and I think Luther would say, I'll put it back on Luther. Luther would probably say, no, that's not the case. Because remember, Luther also says, the Christian is this very unique person. Because at the very same moment, he's completely forgiven. And he's also completely a sinner. Remember in the Latin symbol, justus et peccator, right? Completely sinner and completely forgiven. So when you're, you know, when the old Adam, you know, rises up every morning, this is part of the reason why, you know, he's a, he's a pretty darn good swimmer, so you need to drown him out every morning. But when he rises up and gets the best of you, certainly what you do when he's in control is not in the way of the gospel and couldn't be considered a good work after the order of Jesus. Okay. Yes, you're still believers, yeah. What he does sticks, um, but you can also say, you know, the great heresy is Burger King, have it your own way. <laughs> There's every once in a while you might like to have it your own way. And that wouldn't be, uh, that wouldn't be a good work in the way of Jesus. Okay, Karen, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Christ is the author of all good works, she said, yes. Right. I'm very thankful for that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, the question is, um, I'll soften it a bit. You know, when Nelson said crap in the sermon, I thought, <laughs> now had I said crap in the sermon, I would have had 10 emails already in my box. But because, you know, Nelson just rolls a different way, you know? He's, so damnation, if I say that publicly, apart from what you just said, I'll have 10 emails in my box. So there are, no, I know. Hey, you know, I get it, I get it, I get it. All right, so the question is, there are a lot of, there are a lot of let's soften pagan to unbelievers or people apart from Jesus. There are a lot of people apart from Jesus who, do very nice things, very good works. They give lots of money. They open doors for older folks. They do great things. Um, but they're still um, not on the fast track to heaven. Okay? You're still not on the fast track to heaven. So how do you sort that out? Well, uh, you know, uh, anyone can do good works in the, in the, it would be called the civil realm, but anyone can do good works that matter in the world. You know, you can, you can do a lot of good stuff. You can donate money to Secular organizations, you can do whatever you want. But in the scriptures, it's very clear that your good works do matter. And in fact, um, they're keeping track of them, right? And so it says, especially for pastors, it says when you get there, 
your works will be tested like fire. Okay? So if you care and if you never come back to church and I don't bother to call and say what's cooking, uh, on the last day the Lord's going to say, you know, whatever happened to Karen? Right? And I need to be able to say, I need, I need to be able to say, gosh, we tried our hardest, or gosh, she came back, or gosh, she was a faithful Christian, right? So there is a difference between what you can do in the world and what you do that matters in the Lord's eyes, okay? And that's the distinction. They, they can do very, very nice things, um, but not things, it's not Jesus who's doing them, okay? The Christian's good works, this is Luther, it's not the Christian, okay? It's not the Christian. It's Jesus. Yeah, it would be. Um, they'd have. I, uh, well, let me let's sharpen that a bit. The question is, would it still be Jesus who's doing those good works, even by the unbeliever? Um, it wouldn't be Jesus directly, because Jesus isn't residing in their flesh in the same way He is in the Christian, which we'll see in just a moment. But there is still a faint, um, in, Genesis, in Genesis 3, it's fall. The image of God is not completely lost. Okay? It's not like, poof, they sinned and now it's gone. So all of creation, in some respect, bears, I was going to say a faint image of the image. <laughs> it bears a faint touch of the image of God. And so some of those things, I think it's okay to say, yeah, because they bear the image, they know what's right and what's wrong. They have a conscience. But that's different than saying it's Jesus living in the flesh of Karen who is doing these good works. Okay? There is a distinction. Yes, very good, though. Thank you. Anything else? Good. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Who would be the judge? Uh, no, you let the Lord sort everything out. Even, even the judge on good works. I mean, one of the greatest things I ever learned was, um, actually by a guy who gave a paper who's a professor at Ann Arbor, he said, uh, and this may be to an extreme, but he said, true good works, the Christian's good works, are ones that the Christian doesn't even know are being done. And you see this in the Gospels when they say, you know, this is the distinction between perception and reality. They say, Lord, when did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? And he says, if you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Okay? So they didn't even know that they were doing good works, and yet those are the ones that are counted as righteousness. So yeah, we're never the judge. I mean, there's never... The only thing, we can, the only thing that, that especially the church is given to judge is to say, are they living the Christian life or not? But, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got a few more good works than I do, which I'm planning on, you probably will, um, we'll let the Lord sort all that out. Anything else? All right, Keith, look at your outline there. This is where we're picking up then from last week. But, or and so, this life of faith is one that is defined not by perception, but by reality. Okay? If you look, uh, if you, if you look at your text that you have in front of you, beginning at verse, beginning at verse 17, the perception in Galatia is precisely this. This is the perception in the Galatian church. If Christ is doing all the verbs, then the Christian's life is one of doing nothing. Okay? So the teachers, the Jewish teachers, are walking around to the Galatian church, whom Paul is trying to pastor, and they're saying, 
You all say you're saved by grace alone. You all say you're saved by the faith of Jesus. Does that mean that you have to do nothing? That you can be lazy, right? Or, or disregard the law, or never do a good work in your life. Is that what that means? And the perception is that being saved by grace alone or being saved by Christ's faith alone means that the Christian must do nothing. And this, this, is, this is not only prevalent in Galatia, this is prevalent in the Lutheran church. I can do nothing to be saved, therefore I must do nothing. That's a slap in the face to Jesus. And it's a complete misunderstanding of the Gospels. And it's a total disregard for what Paul says in Galatians. So Paul says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found, and Martin, the, comment, the commentator, uses perceived. We too were perceived to be sinners by not following the demands of the law. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, says St. Paul. Or look at, the, look at the quote there from Martin. The teachers are saying that by linking forgiveness solely to Christ, apart from the observance of the law, that's the Jewish law, circumcision, food rights, all those certain things, Paul has not only become a sinner indistinguishable from a Gentile, he has also in effect turned Christ into one who condones and even facilitates sin. And the Greek word there for servant of sin is diakonos which sounds strikingly similar to deacon, okay? What they're saying is, if you actually believe that Christ saved you and you must do nothing, then Jesus is a minister. He is a deacon of sin. Which, as you know, is completely false. But that's how they perceive this church. Because you're not circumcising, because you're not observing the food laws, because you're not observing this and this and this, therefore you're saying, I'm saved by Christ alone, and it doesn't matter how I live my life. And what Paul is saying is, that couldn't be further from the truth. Look at your outline. The reality is this. Freedom does not mean license. We, us, and the congregation in Galatia, are free from the law's weighty demands and curse. Okay? We're freed from that. So, you know, if you have meat tonight, it's all going to be okay. But we're not free just to be free. We're free towards something better. We are free to live, the, to live life to the full, John's Gospel, precisely on account of the fact that it is not we who live, but Christ who lives in us. So as I said a few moments ago, you know, Jesus never stopped working. And if you actually believe that you're connected to Jesus then to just say, I've been saved by grace and what I do doesn't matter, um, actually reveals something about your character and about your spiritual life. You can't say that and be a Christian. We are free to live because Christ has invaded us. This is Galatian language. Concretely, tangibly, sacramentally, and completely, body, blood, soul, and divinity, everything you can find in Jesus has invaded the Christian has invaded you and has invaded me. And we are in reality, Christ is in reality, living in us and through us. And this is, you know, 
it's, it's, always, it's always a tragedy when people can talk the talk of the body of Christ. They can say things like, Jesus lives in me, or I have his spirit, or we're all the body of Christ. But there's no sense in which Jesus physically, I mean, you, to touch Jesus physically, he resides in your flesh. He sneaks in through your forehead at the font. Just like Mary, he sneaks in through your ear in preaching and absolution. And every Sunday he comes into your mouth, the physical Jesus, the same one who hangs on the cross, the same one who rests in Mary's arms, the same one who's now in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father with his body, actually comes inside the Christian. And when you begin to understand your life that way, that you actually carry around a little baby Jesus. You know? You're no different than Mary going off into the hill country to talk to Elizabeth. You're no different. That drastically changes the way you see good works and the Christian life, sanctification, and what it means to be a Lutheran. Okay? To say that works don't matter, to say that the life doesn't matter, is a denial of the fact that Jesus physically resides in your body. And so then St. Paul, if you don't believe me, you might believe him, and his living in us and through us expresses itself in the flesh, our flesh. It is no longer I who lives, says St. Paul, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, the life I now live in the flesh, the I of St. Paul, what he is, has not been destroyed. And this may be a bit confusing for you here, but you remember, it's very important to note the fact that what you have is an eighth-day life. It is not a first-day life. If you had a first-day life, that means the Lord was, would have scrapped the old creation. He would have scrapped the old you and said, I'm starting over. And that's not what he does. He takes the old creation, and in his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he redeems the old creation. He makes the old creation new. So you're not a first-day Christian. He didn't scrap who you are and what you are and say, I'm going to start over, I made a mistake. He takes who you are and what you are and redeems it. So you're an eighth-day Christian. The eye of St. Paul, who he is and what he is, has not been destroyed. The eye of St. Paul has been forgiven and redeemed and recreated by the eight-sided working of Christ crucified. If you look in the Galatian text, he says, we do this, and we believe this, and can you really say that we do this? And suddenly there's a dramatic shift, and he says, it is no longer I who live. He didn't say it's no longer we who live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what he's trying to show us here is that who you are and what you are has been redeemed and recreated and sent forth to do some good. Okay? He's telling the Galatians, they're talking bad about us here, but remember who I am and who you are. Redeemed and made new by the suffering and death of Christ. And so it works like this. Christ is in you, and you are in your flesh. Therefore, Christ is in your flesh. Christ is in you, you live in the flesh, therefore Christ lives in your flesh. And this life happens, as he goes on to say here, by the faith of the Son of God. He wraps it roundabout to where we started. All of this happens 
by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith of Christ is no different than the person of Christ. And his faith and his person has been, has been dropped inside of you, and he sends you forth then to live this life. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the only way that Christ can have his way in the world is if he can be living and verbing through us. That's the only way. If it wasn't for you, Christ couldn't be in the world. And anything else would, be a, would mean a purposeless death for him. Verse 21, Christ died for no purpose. And a purposeless life for us. There's really no reason to live unless you have Christ in your flesh. No reason to live. So here's what you need to take home as we get ready for next week. Forgiveness, justification, rectification, whatever you want to call it, these are but the first words spoken. The last thing Jesus has to say to you is not, I forgive you. The very first thing he says to you is, I forgive you. Now let's have some fun. What follows forgiveness is a thoroughly Christological life, meaning it's shaped by the person of Jesus. It is a life that is active in service to the church and the world, a life of obedience, humility, joy, patience, generosity, mercy, prayer, Eucharist, absolution, sacramental hearing, witness. It is a life that fears not. And anything else that you can find in Christ's person and work. And so the question is, is that us? Especially as, you know, things begin to move and things begin to shake and it's very difficult times. If it's not Jesus running the verbs, this place, this place will cease to exist. Um, there's no possible way to live unless Jesus does the verbs. And when Jesus does the verbs, all these things fall into place. Obedience, generosity, prayer, service, witness, all these things. They all make sense. They're all gospel words. They're all for you and never against you. That's the life that Jesus has called us to live. Okay? So next week we'll go on to James then. Uh, this wraps up chapter 2 of Galatians. Chapter 3 we'll see, um, he says many of the same things he says in 2, but it'll be good to get back to James for a bit. Any questions here? Yeah. John's, John's question was, it's Christ's faith in us, but how do we win the battle? That would be asking how you can do the verbs, which is not the right question. The right question would be, how can Christ get best possible use of me? And how he plays that out, you might not ever know. But what you know is the place to be in contact with Jesus in order for him to be able to begin to use you well. The Eucharist, absolution, you know, confession and absolution, all those things. You can't ask the question, how can I be used well, unless you're already there all the time. Okay? So, what, so to ask the question, what can I do, is the wrong question. The question is, how can Jesus use me well? And my answer is, be in contact with his gifts, and then see what happens. With his gifts. My father-in-law said there was a very nice woman in front who couldn't hear me the entire time. She kept saying, she kept saying, I can't hear you. You're walking too fast. Was that you? 
It wasn't you. Okay, I just want to make sure. I said I'd get a read on the situation and give him a call. That makes sense, John? All you, I know, but see, here's the thing. Your old Adam wants a different answer. You want me to say, here are 12 things you can do to, make, to, to live the Christian life? That's what I would like. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, be in contact with my gifts, and I'll figure it out. I'll use you well. And that doesn't mean just, that doesn't mean don't use your brain. He's forgiven your brain. You know, you can think through some of these things. But the first point is be in contact with his gifts, and then listen to the liturgy. You know, strengthen us in true faith toward thee and fervent love toward one another. He sends you out. Ete missa es, the end of the mass. Go the mission. Be faithful in all you do. It'll all work out. Let's go here and here, and then we'll probably need to wrap up. Do you have a question? Uh, just a, maybe an argument. Uh, argument? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. The question is, am I? Yeah, am I? Am I? Am I? Am I neglecting prayer? I don't think I said anything about neglecting prayer. No. Okay. So that's good. So. So I won the argument then. Um, that one. Well, no. I mean, be in contact with his gifts. Uh, well. The, uh, <laughs> the Lord's Prayer. Um, is one of the primary places where he delivers his gifts. You need to come to the new member class next Saturday and you'll hear this. The Lord's Prayer is a means of grace because it's pure Jesus. So no, don't neglect prayer. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Um, but also be in contact with his sacramental gifts. So all those things together, that's the Christian life. That's all we've talked about now for you know, a couple weeks. It's all in that together. Right? All in it together. So no, don't. I, well, I don't think I said neglect prayer, but if I did, I'm very sorry. Um, your whole life is a prayer. <laughs> My life is a prayer. It's a prayer I get through this thing. Okay, one more. Go ahead, Dell. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean... The great line from Luther is, if he can use Balaam's ass, he can use me, right? I mean, if he uses a donkey, he can use an unbeliever. So, yeah, don't, uh, he, can do what, he can do whatever he wants. All we can trust and be sure of is what he's promised to do, which is to use the Christian. So, yeah, I mean, he can do whatever he wants, and certainly many non-believers do many great things. But what Galatia is talking about here, the problem in Galatia is they're saying, you're a Christian, how are you going to live, Right? And that's the same problem in James, even more so in James on the living bit. But, you know, you're a Christian, now how do you live? So that's what we're trying to get after. Yeah. Yeah, right. The women on Friday are reading Simply Christian by N.T. Wright, and he talks at the very beginning about sort of echoes of the voice of Jesus, or how people who have never heard, heard the gospel before, who aren't in contact with Jesus, there's still a sense in which, you know, there are things in the world which echo the voice of Jesus. Beauty, spirituality, I forget the other ones. But, you, but that's the point. I mean, and it, the reason he can say there's an echo is there's still a faint touch of the image. Okay, you're drawn to certain things. And our job as the church is to expose people to those things and then draw them into the Christian life. Okay? Anything else? All right, let's pray and we'll go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.